Welcome to this kind of Silicon Valley. This is the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, founded by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who came to the United States first to establish various principles. He had seven purposes under which he formed the community, the society worldwide, to fulfill these purposes. And we'll, we'll look at them so we have an idea of what this organization is. And then today we'll give a brief summary. I'll give a brief summary, and maybe we can discuss something during that time about the basic philosophy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as inculcated uh, through his disciples and passed down to the present day that we're practicing here at this uh, branch of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness in Silicon Valley. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for coming. Hare Krishna. The first purpose is to systematically propagate spiritual knowledge to society at large and to educate all people in the techniques of spiritual life in order to check the imbalance of values in life and to achieve real unity and peace in the world. The second is to propagate a consciousness of Krishna as he is revealed in the Bhagavad Gita. Keep moving it down, please. Stuck on and. And Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, three, to bring the members of the society together with each other and nearer to Krishna, and thus to develop the idea within the members and humanity at large that each soul is part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Four, to teach and encourage the Sankirtan movement, congregational chanting of the holy name of God, and to reveal the teachings of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Five, to erect for the members and the society at large a holy place of transcendental pastimes dedicated to the personality of Godhead. Sixth, to bring the members closer together for the purpose of teaching simple and teaching a simple and more natural way of life. And seven, with the view toward achieving the aforementioned purposes to publish and distribute periodicals, magazines, books, and other writings. Welcome, everyone, and uh, also offer my obeisances, my respects to my spiritual master, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. And to all of you, welcome those who have joined us online as well. And if there are devotees online, you can put on the Zoom so we can see them. So Krishna consciousness is a as you heard, a systematic process through which one can come to the perfection of consciousness, which is known as Krishna consciousness. That's why this organization is called International Society for Krishna Consciousness. And the first tenet of the practice of Krishna consciousness is that because 
from our present position as human beings, we have four defects. And those four defects uh, prevent us from, or they delimit us from getting uh, or producing perfect knowledge through our senses. Because the senses are imperfect and because we, are, we tend to make mistakes and we have a general tendency to cheat, that is, to not um, teach what we know, but just to extrapolate and speculate. There's a way in which a presentation of knowledge that comes from human society is imperfect. It's constantly changing and, and being reformed. So there is an important point in any philosophical system at which one has to receive self-evident knowledge, that knowledge which proves itself. Otherwise, you get infinite regress. And in Krishna consciousness, we take that from a perfect source, which is called the Vedas. The Vedas are co-eternal with Krishna, and they're beyond the, def the four defects. So all the knowledge that we act upon in Krishna consciousness comes from the Vedas. The Vedas are a big project. They include the, the Shrutis, which are a body of knowledge that describes the universe and the creation of the universe and various ways in which to live in harmony with the universe. And then it comes to a point of self-realization at the Upanishads, where it begins to describe the difference between matter and spirit in a very deliberate way. And then there are the Puranas, which are explanations of the original Vedas, because the Vedas are a little bit difficult to understand in this age. And many sages and enlightened persons have explained the Vedas and given them in a way that uh, any person can appreciate and understand that they're itihasas, like the Mahabharata. It's a long, almost novel-like book that anyone can read, but within it, there's the philosophy of the Bhagavad Gita, which is a, a summary of all the Vedas, or summary of all the Upanishads, which are a summary of the Vedas. And therefore, the Bhagavad Gita is often called the Gita Upanishad. How many of you here have read the Bhagavad Gita? If you can raise your hand. Okay. And if you haven't, you can um, get a copy from us here and look it over. It's only 700 verses, which is short compared to other books like the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is thousands of verses. And in the universe of knowledge, or as we say, the, the canon of spiritual knowledge, the Vedas are a, a whole project to give everyone an opportunity to come to the light. Tamasi ma jyotirgamai. The purpose of the Vedas is to get out of darkness and come to light. And the International Society for Krishna Consciousness and those who practice Krishna Consciousness take this as the ultimate source of knowledge, the Vedas. And most particularly in this age, the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is called the Pramanam, which is perfect, Amala Purana. It doesn't have any flaws. It's never been interpolated. It means nobody accidentally added a few verses or took any out. 
And that's what guides the members of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, what to speak of the previous teachers who have uh, also passed down this tradition to the present age. Therefore, in any conversation that one might have in a spiritual circle in the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, or for that matter, in, in any organization that's uh, based on the principles of the Vedas, one would ask when somebody makes a point, uh, is that in the Vedas somewhere? Can you cite where that's from? Very much like if you go to uh, a court as a, an attorney and you're presenting a case, you have to give precedent and case law. Say, yes, there was a case like this, and in the law books it's stated that this is a valid legal theory that I'm making. So that's, what, that's the first tenet of Krishna consciousness. Our senses are imperfect, and therefore we have to take knowledge from a perfect source. Otherwise, we're moving blindly in the world. And if you blindfold yourself on the way home today and try driving, you'll see how perilous that is. The second basic truth of the practice of Krishna consciousness is Krishna, and it, the name Krishna is a name that describes the Supreme, or God. And we also have a term called the Supreme Personality of Godhead to indicate that the Supreme is a person. And that person we call Krishna. That's why we have Krishna consciousness. Krishna is a name which means all attractive. Krishna is described in the Brahma Sanghita by the first created being in the universe, Brahma. According to the Vedic teachings, the first beings in the universe are not uh, underdeveloped. They are actually, or the first being is called Brahma, and he's the most intelligent. So Brahma, when he's first born in the universe, gets bewildered about where he is, who he is, and what's going on. But he gets a little instruction to perform tapasya, which means to do a little spiritual work to try to understand his position. And he does so in a process of japa, chanting a mantra. And from that, he comes to understand or rather the, the supreme truth, Krishna reveals himself to Brahma. And Brahma passes down the knowledge of Krishna. And so Brahma says in his revelation of Krishna, the beginning of the universe, Ishvara Parama Krishna Sakchit Ananda Vigraha Anadi Radir Govinda Sarva Karana Karana That the supreme that everybody wonders about, who is the supreme, or in any circle, when people talk about God or they talk about the Supreme, then you say, please tell us who it is. Very few people are forthcoming to pre present an actual image of the Supreme. And that's not the case in Krishna consciousness. In fact, we're very forthcoming in presenting the image of the Supreme Personality of Godhead because we have very specific information that comes down through the Vedas and through the first created being in the universe who describes him. Ishvara means he's the supreme controller. 
Ishvara Parama, means supreme controller, and his name is Krishna. And then what are his features? Sakchit Ananda Vigraha. He has a form. It's not that when you get to the supreme, you find something formless. Rather, he has a form. And just as it said in the Bible, man is created in the image of God. So similarly, uh, this idea is there in the Vedas as well, that the form of the Lord is very human-like. However, it's Sakchit Ananda. It's not a physical body, but it's a spiritual body, which incidentally is more substantial than a material body, which is constantly falling apart. The spiritual body is eternal. Anadir Adir Govinda, which means he, he has no origin. He's the origin of everything, but nothing's created him. So that's where it stops. You go back and back and back. If you ask uh, your father, who's my father? And then you ask, who is his father? Who is his father? You keep going back and back and back. You'll come to Krishna eventually if you go far enough back. There is a cause to everything, but that cause that doesn't have a cause before him is the supreme cause of all causes without any beginning. And in the Bhagavad Gita, when Krishna speaks about himself, Bhagavad Gita is another valid source of spiritual knowledge. Krishna says that aham sarvasya pravavo, matak sarvam pravartade, everything emanates from me. And that somebody who understands this comes to the process of devotional service, wanting to serve Krishna. Why would you go anywhere else if you knew the origin of everything? Where, where That person from whom everything else emanates. So the next uh, tenet of the teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that that supreme person has unlimited energies. It's not that um, he's divorced from anything else. Everything emanates from him and everything therefore is part of him. And his energies are unlimited. Parasha Shaktir Vividahi Vashruite. So his energies Esha Desha Stitasya Gnir Joshna Vistaraniyata Tatasya Brahmana Shaktis Parasya Brahmana Shaktis Tateda Makidlam Jagat. The Vishnu Purana describes how just as the sun is situated in one place but has diffused energies in every direction that pervade the whole universe, in the same way the Supreme who, the personality of Godhead is in one place but he expands his energies everywhere, unlimitedly. And his energies can work in miraculous ways. There's no limit to what he can do because he's the supreme, he can do anything. The next tenet is that the living entities, like us, we're, we're non-material entities. However, we're residing within material bodies presently. And we are part and parcel of Krishna. Just as photons of light emanate from the sun and are the sun, but at the same time are separate from the sun. So in a similar way, we are part of Krishna. As Krishna himself says in the Bhagavad Gita, Mamai Vamsho Jiva Loke Jiva Bhuta Sanatana. 
manakshastanindriyani prakriti stani karshati. He says that the living entities are all my parts. And when they're in contact with matter, they struggle with the six senses in the mind. So we're part of Krishna. We're not separate from him, but we are simultaneously one with him and different from him at the same time, just like the particles of sun or sun rays. If a sun ray comes into your room, you may, someone may say, oh, the sun's coming in. And that's true. But if the whole sun came in, we, we wouldn't uh, be able to hang around for very long. And the next tenet is that there are two kinds of living entities in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, so this is um, the dual case in Sanskrit. It's written, Dwav imau purushau loke. A lot of ows in there, which means two, two, two. So Dwav imau purushau loke. There are two kinds of living entities, shara and akshara. So one is called shara, which means fallible, and the other is called akshara, infallible. So the fallible uh, living entities are the ones who have gone out of Krishna's orbit, so to speak, and are now mixed up in matter. That's why we have to, to contend with Home Depot, going up and down the aisles looking for somebody to help us, and they never show up, and if they do, they got the wrong stuff. And, uh, you know, balancing your credit card bill at the end of the month. All the anomalies of this world, birth, death, old age, and disease, are a product of being imperfect. And that imperfection is not permanent, thankfully. It's a circumstantial condition. Because of being associated with material nature, which is constantly changing and is unstable inst compared to our nature, our natures. Therefore, uh, as I mentioned before, that Krishna has said, we struggle with the material nature. We grapple hard with the material nature. So, shara shakshara uchade, the, the ones who are in the spiritual world, they're connected to Krishna through service. They're in unity with Krishna by agreement and cooperation in service. That's why we have devotional service. That means cooperative service. Everyone's doing service, but those who have come to this knowledge, as I'm presenting it here, decide that rather than try to serve my senses, which never works out, they're bad masters, I will serve Krishna. And when one serves Krishna, then one becomes a liberated soul. Iha yasya hare karmana manasagira nikila apyavasta su jivan mukta su uchite. As is mentioned in the Shastra, Shastra means the authoritative literatures that describe the process of devotional service. That if somebody, even in this present physical material body, is engaged in service to the Supreme Personality of God, that person is called a jivan mukta, is liberated even in this condition of being ensconced in the material world. There are others 
living entities who are not in the material world. There's a demarcation between the material and spiritual world. Sometimes people wonder about this. Isn't everything just the spiritual world? We've forgotten it. Yes and no. All energies come from Krishna, and therefore they're all his energies. At the same time, there is a demarcation between the material and spiritual world called the viraja. It's a boundary. There's a sign there posted that says, enter at your own risk, coming from the spiritual world to the material world. And somehow I missed it. Uh, consequences are uh, unusually <laughs> troublesome. In the spiritual world, there's no dichotomy because there everything is spiritual, the same nature as us, the soul. And therefore, we don't have to contend with the anomalies, second time I used the word, of the material world that are due to my incompatibility with this nature. There's a higher energy and a lower energy, Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita. He says, there's earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. These are the material elements. And he calls them the separated energies. And above those, There's a different energy, and that's you. And you, and you, and you. We are this, this of the superior energy of the spiritual world. But just now, here in Silicon Valley, we're mixed up with the lower energy. So if anybody has experienced a modicum of anxiety about the world, or one's position in it, recently or in the past, this is why. We're in the wrong place. So... There is a pathway uh, through the process of bhakti yoga, devotional service, from disenfranchising oneself from this material energy, the lower energy, which is so frustrating, which is probably the understatement of the century, and relocating to the spiritual world. And that process is devotional service. When we leave the world in Krishna consciousness, then, as Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita, yang yang vapi svaran bhavam tajatyanti kalevaram tam tam evaitikonteya sadatad bhava bhavitaha. Or more appropriately, antakali chamameva smaran mukva kalevaram yapriyata samad bhavam yatinasyatrasham saya. If you remember Krishna when you leave this world, if your mind and activities are absorbed in spiritual practice, when you leave the world, then your consciousness uh, has prepared you to be relocated to the spiritual world. Otherwise, when I'm attracted to matter and the different combinations of matter, which is natural because we're attached to something as living entities, if we don't have superior energy, we'll naturally remain attached to matter. But if we're in that condition, when we leave this body, material nature accommodates us and gives us another material situation, and you can never be happy here in the material world. There are very wealthy people who don't have enough money, and that's because matter doesn't satisfy us.
too much is not enough. So the, the next tenet of the practice of Krishna consciousness is that there is a um, process of devotional service called devotional service through which we can attain the perfection of life. And that's uh, given uh, form and direction in the, in the book called the Srimad Bhagavatam. Mahesha, are you okay back there or you want to share? Okay. Thank you for coming, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Um, the process is devotional service and we're self-directing when it comes to where we're going in the world. In fact, you find this in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna is not a religious fanatic. He doesn't condemn anybody. He just tells us the way it is and then tells us how we can be self-directing. For instance, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Yanti Deva, Vrata Devan, Pitran Yanti Pratirbhata, Bhutani Yanti Bhuteja, Yanti Mam, Yajinopi Mam, which basically means you're free to move about the universe wherever you like to go. You can go. You can direct yourself there. And it, it all has to do with the development of consciousness. So when I'm conscious of certain kind of situation or enjoyment that I'd like to have in this world when I leave my body, what I'm most attracted to, what I've become accustomed to. Have you noticed this during the lockdown at all, that when you're by yourself, you can sort of observe and see, see for yourself what you like uh, or what you dislike? Well, you can do it at any time. It doesn't take a pandemic. You can just kind of notice what you're, what you're inclined to. Well, Krishna says, whatever you're inclined to now, that's going to carry you to next situation because the material nature is all accommodating. It's simply accommodating what I want. So the way to change that is to take to the process of pure devotional service. What is that? It means to unhitch oneself from service to the material world and connect the same impetus we have for working and for doing service to serving God, Krishna. And when we do that without any motive and without any interruption, that's called perfect, pure devotional service. And anyone who's in that situation, when he or she leaves the world, will go back to the spiritual world and no, no longer have to take birth again here in the material world. Does that sound okay? Better than okay, right? So that is the practice that, that we're engaged in here. And of course, someone may say, that sounds a little bit um, time-consuming. After all, all the time is a lot. So the, the ancient teachers understand that it's not easy to turn around a battleship. You just can't turn on a dime suddenly. You have to get everybody prepared on board, and then you start turning gradually, and you can turn it around. Nice wide U-turn. And so in a similar way, by incremental improvement in our lives, by taking to the simple practices of bhakti and integrating them simply and integrating them gradually into our lives, we'll begin to turn around in another direction. And the benefit of that is that we will develop a higher taste. And that brings me to the next tenet of devotional service. 
and that is called rasovaisaha, and that is that Krishna, in our relationship with him, is very nice. Rasa means what you like to drink because it tastes so good and you can't stop drinking it. Rasa means taste. So the source of all taste and happiness is Krishna. What, what I take as a source of happiness in this world is merely a reflection of Krishna and his spiritual world. And therefore, I get faked out. I get the reflection of happiness. It looks real. There's a verisimilitude. That is, it looks very real, but it's not real. So, in the practice of Krishna consciousness itself, pure bhakti, we uh, start to uh, experience Krishna ourselves through our senses, and our senses get purified, and we also get this rasa, or a taste, for what real spiritual happiness is. This is very important because uh, we won't go um, on very long in any practice that we don't get something from. Just like a relationship that you're not getting anything out of, after a while, everybody gives up. It's like, well, what happened? I thought you two were committed. And it's like, well, you know, he doesn't call me anymore. Like, well, how long has that been going on? Like two years, I finally dropped it. So there's a way that here in this world, whatever kind of connection I have, I, I won't keep unless there's something in it for me. As it turns out, everything's in it for me when I engage in devotional service. And the logic is like this. If you look in the mirror and you see a reflection, and then you start decorating your face, the reflection in the mirror is also decorated. So in a similar way, when I give my service to Krishna, because I'm part of Krishna, I'm like a reflection in the, in the context of this metaphor, then I also become decorated. Whereas if I try to do it separately, if I try to get my enjoyment separately, then I won't be satisfied. So raso vaisaha, if you serve Krishna in devotional service, you'll taste something that's so nice you won't at first want to give it up, and then later on you won't be able to give it up. You become addicted. Anybody ever get addicted to anything? Yeah? So, there's a few of us in here. So, there, so there's, a, there's a positive side to addiction. We're, we're naturally addicted by nature. That's what the living condition is, consciousness. We can't be divorced from engagement of our mind and senses. So if we get addicted to the right thing, then we're perfectly situated and we'll become purified. So you can get addicted to Krishna. It just takes as much practice as it does to get addicted to um, cigarettes, I suppose. On the first few puffs, everyone's thinking, what the heck is, am I doing? <laughs> After all, this is hot smoke going into my nice pink lungs. What am I thinking? It's like, well, everyone else is doing it. And the Marlboro man did it. And of course, he died twice and two marble women, and so forth. But th there's a way in which I have to practice a little bit here in this world to get addicted to things. So we also have to practice a little bit to get addicted to, to Krishna. So don't give up the practice and try to go back out to find happiness elsewhere. Of course, 
those who live in Krishna consciousness live a balanced life. And we do live a dual existence even when we're in Krishna consciousness because if you go to a job interview and somebody asks you where you're from, you can't tell them the spiritual world or they won't hire you. You have to be practical. And you can keep it to yourself to some degree, your practice at home, and make advancement even as you're living a so-called normal life. You'll begin to, the process of spiritualizing everything that's, that's in, your, in your home in your life completely. And then the final tenet is what the goal is, the ultimate goal of the practice is called prema. Prema is a condition that is so enjoyable, it's hard to, hard to describe, but many of the writings about devotional service um, have nonetheless extensively tried to describe it the ways in which a person who is in prema, or which means pure love for Krishna, feels, which is a, a kind of full absorption in uh, complete happiness all the time, and is exhibited in various relationships that uh, a living entity has with Krishna. Nonetheless, that's the goal, to develop that pure love for Krishna called prema, which is the highest level of enjoyment that any living entity can have uh, in service to Krishna or anywhere else for that matter. And these are the basic tenets of the practice of devotional service. Uh, they are supported by the seven purposes of ISKCON. And then, of course, we have these basic tenets. And anyone can uh, join this. It doesn't matter where you're starting from. You don't have to be from any particular country. You just have to be a living entity. Any living entities? Raise your hand, please. Okay, you can join. Mayapur, how come you didn't raise your hand? He's a living entity, too. So living entities can join. And the practice is not that difficult, although I, I gave some philosophical points. It may sound a little extensive, but... Um, one of the simple practices that anyone can do anywhere that's most highly recommended is the chanting of the names of Krishna. So just a little bit about that and before we try it for ourselves. The name of Krishna and Krishna himself are the same. So what that means is when you say Krishna, Krishna, Krishna then you're connected to Krishna. He's manifesting a, right in front of you or right on your tongue, right in your ears, because Krishna and Krishna's name are the same. And there's a chant or a mantra, which is a spiritual formula that's been passed down over millennia. You'll find it stated in one of the ancient scriptures called the Kali Santaranu Parashad, which names the whole mantra, and then says, Iti Sodasikam Namnam Kali Kalmashanashanam that there's a way in which you can overcome all obstacles in the age of Kali, and also says, Sarva Vedishu Drushyate. If, if anybody knows uh, anything about anything, is looking through the Vedas, this is what they're really looking for. And is, is this, I mean, you want to find the gem uh, throughout, throughout all the other chafe. And once you find this gem, then you become very wealthy. So there's a way in which by chanting the mantra, you make spiritual advancement, and all the other practices that we mentioned become available or, or 
they, they start to make sense, and we also get a kind of spiritual strength through which we can uh, take them up. So the, the chant goes like this. The first word in the mantra, and a mantra is a, is a short um, statement which is transformational. In fact, that's one of the definitions given in the dictionary. It's transformational. The first word, Hare, everyone can say Hare. Hare means uh, it's an evoc- invocative form, which means it's prayerful. You're calling out for somebody. Oh, hey. Uh, Hare. And it, it uh, esoterically refers to uh, the Lord's internal energy, which is also personalized in the form of his female counterpart. And then Krishna means all attractive. All that we're looking for that's attractive, like beauty and fame and wealth and wisdom and strength and renunciation are all there in Krishna. He's the most beautiful and he's the most wealthy, the most renounced, etc. And so we'll, we'll experience that when we say the name Krishna. It's, it's, a, it's a name that catches your attention when you hear it. It's like, what was that again? Can I hear it one more time? I'm not sure yet. Let me hear it again. And that goes on forever because it's endlessly interesting. And then one can enter deeply within Krishna and his abode just by hearing and becoming interested in his name. And finally, Rama. Everyone please say Rama. Rama. So these uh, syllables indicate the Supreme Personality, uh, the the happiness, the joy that comes from connecting with the Supreme Personality Godhead. Ramante yoga no anante satchidanda charatmani iti rama padena so. That the Supreme Brahman is manifested as ultimate pleasure. And when you chant Rama, you're indicating the highest happiness that most people miss out on in this world, but not you, because you have the mantra. So in in the aggregate, when we say the mantra, which goes, it's listed at the top, it goes, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. means, please let me quit my job here in Silicon Valley and move to the spiritual world, if you don't mind, please. Uh, please engage me in your service, Krishna, and give up any illusory uh, identification with this world. So that's the basic meaning of the mantra. Oh, my Lord, oh, energy of the Lord, please engage me in your service. So uh, we do it in a call and response fashion. So we have a few instruments, if you, if you don't mind. This one's called a coal. And you might see recognize its um, cousin, the tabla. (laughs) Somebody cut a coal in half and put the two sides on the floor. But the coal is special because, like yesterday, we went to a festival in Golden Gate Park, and uh, we danced for a few hours. And when you're to dance, you got to stand up. So how are you going to play a tabla and stand up? So this one they kept like this, so you can both chant, play the drum, and dance. That's why there's a string around it. 
And then we have a European instrument over here that was introduced uh, in um, India. It's got reeds inside. It's called a harmonium. A little uh, non-annoying, uh, what are those things called? Play accordion, go to jail? Um, yeah, it's a non-annoying accordion. Somebody got it. Thank you. Who was that? You did. Thank you. I'll be here all week. So then we have the cartels. Show the cartels. Those are wampers. Cartels. And then we have a larger set, which is like a hi-hat. If you ever played a drum set, those are dangerous. They actually control the whole thing. So and then we'll sing and uh, or all sing uh, the mantra and then you just repeat it back and just allow yourself to bathe in the sound vibration take it in and if you feel like it and you're tired of the way things are in this world feel free to sing with your heart and just call out it's like please engage me in your service i don't care what happens i just want to risk it all and be your servant and not have to deal with all the problems of this world who would like to sign up for that kind of chanting? Pretty good, pretty good audience here. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to start with a, a couple of prayers, which is a good way to come into this. First prayers I'm going to say are to the founder Acharya, who happens to be my spiritual master, and then to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who I didn't mention very much, but he's the most recent incarnation of Krishna who came to teach all this to the world because people didn't get it the first time. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale Sri Mate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namine So that first line introduces Srila Prabhupada, whose picture is there on the left, and mentions that he's very dear to Krishna in this world and that his name is Swami Bhaktivedanta. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavani Paschatyadeshatarine. Second line announces that he's the servant of his spiritual master named. Saraswati Devi, Saraswati Devi, and that his mission is Gauravani Pracharini. Pracharini means to go around and tell people or to, to talk about. Uh, Gauravani means the, the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, whom I just mentioned. And a little bit more about the teachings Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarini. He's doing it in the Western countries where there's an abundance of. Nirvishesh and Shunyavadi philosophies that advocate that ultimately there is no God. Or that if there is a God, he's some impersonal force with no energies. So he's come to, uh, to counteract those teachings which end up to be counterproductive in the world and leave us right back where we started in the mire of material existence. Next. Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita 
Radhara Shiva Sadi Gora Bhakti. Bring it one more time. Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. keep chanting <laughs> or chant chant once I was in India and I was um, for the first time I ever did it I walked around uh, this sacred hill called Govardhan and some locals do it every day sometimes twice a day but it's it's 14 miles around barefoot I wasn't used to it back then and uh, also I didn't know it but it was a holiday in India called Holi H-O-L-I, and uh, the kids in the village knew it, so by the time I got all the way around to near the destination, I was with Savas Prabhu and Panchagoda. We were, we were um, limping, and then some kids jumped out and attacked us. <laughs> on Holi, they, it's a special festival, they spray colors on each other, so we got drenched with colors. To boot, and I was bedraggled and sort of limping along after being massacred. And there was a, there was a, an old devotee called a sadhu sitting in a doorway, and he was he was just doing chanting. It's another kind of chanting where you chant uh, on beads, and you repeat the name. It's like a personal prayer meditation. And he saw Savas and I walking by dragging ourselves along. He looked at it and he goes, chant, chant. <laughs> and my mother told me the same thing once when I called her from the Los Angeles airport. I was having a bad day. I was a brahmachari and I she said, how are you doing? I said, not very good. She goes, you listen to me. You put your hand in that bag and you start chanting. <laughs> <laughs>
Just before she left her body, I asked her why she said that. I said, do you remember that? She said, I do. And I said, why did you tell me that? And she said, I saw you leave the material world. I didn't want you coming back in again. Didn't think it was a good idea. And this is the simple process to leave the material world and not come back. It's to, to keep the chanting going. So that's why devotees say to each other, Hari Bo. Keep chanting, don't stop. If you feel down, you ever, anybody ever feel down a little bit once in a while? Keep chanting. You put your hand in that bee bag and you start chanting. And like the sadhu on the porch, if you're feeling beat up, somebody just sprayed you with colors, crashed your car, cat died, dog ran away. What was that? Lost a job, yeah. Uh, they you, they greeted you with a little, you know, box and said, "See you later." <laughs> Chant, just keep chanting. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur, one of the great saints of this tradition, wrote in a song, "Grihe Thakur Bani Thakur Shada Hari Boli Thakur." First of all, don't worry where you live. Doesn't matter. You can live in a, a van. You can live in a garage. You can live in a palace under trees. It doesn't matter. It still works, the chanting. It's good everywhere. And then he says, Suke duke bulonako varane harinam kore. If you're happy or distressed, and those things are inevitable, those conditions, sometimes you're going to be happy, sometimes you're going to be stressed. It comes of its own accord. We can't stop either one of them, happiness or distress coming to our lives. He said, keep chanting. Haribo. Keep chanting. So if you're walking in some foreign place, you don't know anybody there, and somebody comes up and sees your neck beads or something, and they, they'll say to you, Haribo, and remind you that keep chanting. It doesn't matter if you're in an airport or you're walking down the street, keep the vibration going. And that's the simple teaching of Krishna consciousness, Haribo. If you keep the chanting going, then you'll come to full knowledge by the, by the process of chanting. And you'll also be f freed from the cycle of birth and death. And you also, you won't be afraid of anything. The Srimad Bhagavatam says, Apana samsritim goran yanama vivasho granan tatasadyo vimucheta yad bibheti swayam bayam. If you're ever afraid, say, Hare Krishna. Because Krishna will protect you. He's right there in his name. Don't worry about anything. Just say, Hare Krishna. So we welcome everybody who came from various places. We're so glad to have you here. And um, let's just have a, a short round of, of what you heard so far that you can reflect back. Yes, Sadhu Prabhu. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Um, you were talking about um, the point where you said you're talking about a point where you said that you should do devotional service without any motive. And I was just thinking about the verse that you, you would always recite in uh, many of your classes. Right? Yeah. Um, which talks about also how you should do devotional service without any fruit of action or without any um, desire to get something. And only then you will render devotional service purely and perfectly. So I just related that to um, 
I just related this verse to the point you were talking about. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sadhu. But, but what if you're not starting from that position? Go ahead anyway, because gradually you'll be purified by the process of devotional service. There's plenty of seats right down the middle. We're not saving them. Hey, welcome back. Hare Krishna, you came. Good to see you. Okay, yes, Prabhu. Hare Krishna, thank you for the lecture. Please accept. Please accept my, my respectful obeisances. I like the point where you made material nature is all accommodating. It, it accepts any service that you give it. And there's a story of the snake and the mouse where the snake and the mouse are stuck in a basket together. And the snake thinks of eating the mouse, but it actually thinks it's, it finds out that it's disadvantageous to eat the mouse because the mouse can actually burrow a hole in the basket and escape and then the snake can eat it afterwards. So similarly, we're like that mouse, where we're being chased by material nature, and our goal is to burrow out of the basket and find our way into the material or the spiritual world. Okay, I like it. It's a slight twist on the original story, which is where it doesn't end up so well for the mouse, because <laughs> they made a deal, <laughs> and the snake didn't keep it. You've, tell you what, you eat a hole, then we both get out, and then Snake ate a hole, and he ate the mouse, and then he went out. But I like your version better. <laughs> it's much nicer for the mouse. His mice are quite nice, actually. Quite friendly. I've known a few myself. Um, what other things did you hear that you want to reflect back? Yes. Prabhuji, I really love the point where you said that practice to get addicted to Krishna. Yeah, it's not hard. Well, it's a little hard at first. That's why Rupa Goswami said in the beginning, you may not like it. It may seem contrary to what you, what you want to do, what your mind wants to do. But it's, it's like that. When the mind becomes conditioned to liking things that are not good for it, it's um, a little um, stubborn about giving them up for some reason. It's unreasonable, actually. So one has to, to pre, um, prevail over the mind by uh, having intelligence. And this is one of the ways that Krishna describes how one may start the process of devotional service with one's intelligence. This comes at the end of the third chapter in which Krish, of the Gita, in which Krishna is describing how the senses, when they're contaminated with this desire to take in things from the world that, are, um, that aren't, actually aren't good for us, then one has to develop uh, a, a, an intelligence that's like the adult in the room. The, the senses are like unruly children who want to do anything. In fact, you have to baby-proof your house when you have a kid because they'll put everything in their mouth, drag everything off the shelf and break it. Plenty of seats down the middle, by the way, for anybody back there who wants to sit closer. So Krishna says, uh, by hearing in the association of devotees and reading books like Bhagavad Gita, you can uh, fortify your, your intelligence. And therefore, uh, you can override the mind when it comes up with bad ideas. And then gradually, you can make the mind your friend. It's very helpful, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, to regulate the senses also. When the senses are regulated, like you don't eat too much and you don't eat too little. Don't sleep too much and don't 
sleep too little, don't recreate too much, and don't recreate too little. You have to stay balanced in your life. And try to practice uh, using the senses to serve Krishna, if they've, even if they don't feel like it. And then gradually, just as I'm addicted to anything else in this world, attached to it as, if, as when I have bad habits, I can also develop the habit of wanting to serve Krishna. And then I can get a higher taste. And that's the safe position in life. Because everything else has uh, severe consequences, more than I had hoped for, actually, when I started them. I think maybe I'll just dabble a little bit, and I can get away with it. But then, actually, it grabs you. And then it becomes onerous to get out of that situation. And it can really uh, take you on a hard road, this material world. The worst of it all is death. This is the, the most uh, difficult of all situations, death. It ruins your whole day to start with. And all the stuff you thought you had gets repossessed all of a sudden. And all the people you loved, you have to leave behind. It's horrible, actually. And it's, it's the main thing everybody's afraid of. So Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, uh, don't do that anymore. Stop doing that to yourself. Uh, become Krishna conscious and overcome death. Sorry, go ahead. There was one, two. I just wanted to also mention, I like the point of uh, when your mom said, you, I saw you walk away from the material world. I don't want you to come back. I thought that was so deep. Yeah, it was. I was lucky that, um, I mean, Krishna arranged it for me to have a mother that was, was like that. It helped me a lot. And I thank her all the time for being like that throughout my life. Thank you. One, two. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Thank you for the nice class. Uh, in relation to the context that Mataji was saying about getting addicted to Krishna, I was thinking that um, uh, if we understand the urgency of the situation, then the addiction becomes faster. You know, uh, many times we become complacent because we think we have a long life ahead and you know that's why it becomes slower it becomes very gradual whereas um, like how Parikshit Maharaj he only had he knew that he only had seven days to live so he was even able to give up his eating and hunger and thirst and you know he was able to relish the Krishna Katha much more than you know giving up his bodily needs so if we understand the urgency of where, where we are and what we are going through then uh, the addiction can become faster that's true, and this is one of the points that uh, one of the saints, a woman saint named Queen Kunti makes about how when troubles come in my life, then I tend to be very serious and fixed on you. So let more troubles come, no problem. However, I've noticed if you wait too long, then it's really hard, even despite the fact that there may be an urgent situation, because I'm so used to ignoring the troubles of the material world and just taking shelter of sense gratification. I, I know someone who had practiced Christian consciousness early in his life, and then he got ill, and he was hospitalized. Oftentimes, that's a, a really hard time in life, because unless you have huge resources in America, you get a really bad end of the stick as far as medical assistance goes. And, uh, you know, he was in a horrible situation in the hospital, and uh, TV was going. And one of, one of his friends 
came and said, we got to get you out of here. Let's I could take you to Vrindavan. So somehow or other, he got him to Vrindavan. But once he got there, he wasn't used to the environment. That is the, the, the Sikh devotee. I mean, even living in a holy place like Vrindavan, it's an acquired taste. And unless you've been there a bunch of times and you've gotten used to the, the vibration there, which is very rarefied, I just say rarefied. It's just, it's a rarefied atmosphere. Then it's really hard to appreciate it. And, you know, one night they found him trying to escape. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but he's trying to get out of Vrindavan, sort of in a half-conscious state. I think I just got to go. He couldn't, he couldn't abide by the, the vibration there because he wasn't used to it. So the other advice that's given is start as early as you can. Don't put it, if you're going to procrastinate something, procrastinate sense gratification. There's a course at Stanford in pro applied procrastination that you can take. And apply it in the right ways by just putting off sense gratification. You know, it's a good thing, like with eating, the stomach's like, I want to eat more. And the tongue said, give me more, give me more. And say, don't say no, just say later. We'll eat another time. We're going to eat later you know, like tomorrow, <laughs> it's no problem, you know, or later today or whatever. And then, you know, whenever it comes up, you just keep saying later, it's okay. We've done that with other things, right? So you can try it with other th uh, things that, you know, you're trying to give up on, you just say like, not right now, I'll do something later, do it later. And then try to take advantage as early as possible, have as much momentum as possible in your life because you can bank it all, it all gets banked. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Neha bikramanashosti pratyavayo navidyate solpamapyasidharmasya trayate mahato bayad. Even the tiniest little investment in devotional service can grow, so why wouldn't you make regular investments and uh, let it grow by compounded interest? One of the wonders of the world. We'll take uh, two more. Oh, yeah, sorry, you're next, Shamalangi, and then Bali. Uh, so, Guru Maharaj, I was reflecting on the first purpose, and uh, last time also uh, I was like thinking it's when you said that it's so well worded um, the way it's written, and um, the, what caught my attention is to check the imbalance in values uh, because that's like everywhere that's the reality, you know. And even like we grew up, we, you know, back in India where you know we actually everything is available to us. But there are so many philosophies, like confusion in the mind, and then our own mind creates some more interpretations, and we are like all messed up. So it's such a nice purpose, you know, that by giving us the spiritual knowledge to check that imbalance, and then that way, you know, peace, uh, you know, well, nice. peace can come. And I just remembered uh, yesterday when, you know, in the Rathyatra, so I was there at the book stand in the morning, and then. Um, there was one person, an Indian, who came, and he was looking at the books, and when I was telling him this is this and this, he said, oh, I know all this, you know, we've seen this from childhood, don't, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> so I, I again said, but I said, okay, but these are something new which have come. No, no, I don't, I know, you know, everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was just remembering that even when I was in school, I, I just remember that time, that there were some Russian devotees who had come to my hometown that time, and they were giving Bhagavad Gita. And I also like, I kind of like probably laughed at them at that time. Oh, they are teaching us Bhagavad Gita, you know, it's ours. So, but now because of, you know, all this, what is available to us through is gone. It's becoming so clear now. So I really like that uh, first one. Uh, thank that you. That was nice. 
Thank you very much. Haribo. Haribo. Bali. Hare Krishna. I think we had wonderful Rathjatra yesterday. Those who did not make it, Prabhuji did long, long hours of Kirtan. That was amazing. And I was telling one, the dancers group, comparing with few years ago, one group came and complained, oh, this stage is too small to perform the dance, and this, 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 all situation. But the guru of this particular dance group, I liked her, and she told me, well, if a dancer can dance in the rock of the Yosemite Glacier Half Dome Hill in a small piece, it's large enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really impressed, and I thought of reflections that no matter many situations, many favorable situations a devotee may have, they will still think, oh, I'm still lacking. I'm not able to perform my devotional service. I'm lacking this, I'm lacking this. But it's just about the mindset. Krishna gives you what you need. Just you understand that, then you can continue my own reflection. Nice. Bali, one of the austerities of the mind, Krishna mentions in the Bhagavad Gita, in the 17th chapter, is satisfaction. And oftentimes, hearing, upon hearing that, one might think, well, satisfaction, you're either satisfied or you're not. I got, if I got what I want, then I'm satisfied. If I didn't, but no, you're not. You get what you wanted, and then you think, well, it's going to break now. And what if somebody steals it? And like, you know, what if the IRS finds out? And you know, all these things. But satisfaction is a practice, as you're mentioning, Bali Prabhu, to to realize actually, I'm what I am is more important than what I have, and to be solidly situated in the self. This is real satisfaction. Thank you so much. One more, last one in the back. Yeah, the Rathiatri yesterday was amazing. Thanks, Bali, for all the work that you did helping to organize it. <laughs> and Gita Priya said we should have a kirtan like that every day. Big festival, right? Three, three, four hours of kirtan. That ought to do a little damage. All right. Hey, Krishna Maharaj. Uh, we have some questions from online. Oh, I, okay, good. Them? I'm sorry to, to have neglected them for so um, long. So there's an anonymous question. Uh oh. Um, why is serving Krishna better than enjoying our senses? Well, when we enjoy, let me give you an example. The senses one time decided that they didn't want to serve the stomach because they were doing all the work. The fingers, the, the feet were walking to the store to buy the food, the fingers paying the money, or picking the food from the vine and then cooking. And it, all of them were working and they got together one night, late at night, and they decided, we're, we're gonna go on strike. We're not feeding the stomach, he just sits there and eats what we give him. So they did it, but then day after day they realized their folly because they became weaker and weaker and more discouraged. So they reconvened and then went back to their service of feeding the stomach and then they felt happy and whole again. So the problem with serving our senses is we can't serve them independently. We have to serve them by 
serving the master of the senses, Krishna, and then we'll, they'll feel satisfied. Sugiva. Next one. Uh, Sundari Kirtana Mataji asks, I have a question, Maharaj. We should do devotional service without any motive, but is it okay if you do have a motive, such as going back home, back, uh, back home to Godhead? Yeah, that's not a material motive, going back to Godhead. And the ultimate issue, those who are so absorbed in devotional service um, oftentimes don't mind where they are. Narayanat paraksarve nakutashchana pipyati swarga pavarga narakeshu apituliyarte narshina. Of course, this verse mentions that if you're in heaven or hell, you don't care because if you're serving Krishna, it's all transcendental. But um, there is a sense that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gives Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kavitam Vajagadisha Kamaye Mama Janmani Janmari Shvare Bhafatad Bhakti Rahaitu Kitwai that I don't even, I could just take birth again. It's okay because I'll be in devotional service. But it's not a material desire to want to go back to Godhead, it's spiritual to want to be with Krishna. And now we're going to chant a little, chan do a little more chanting. Oh, you mentioned about the values in life and adjusting them. I think one good start is people shouldn't be so much haters. Too many haters out there nowadays. What do you think? Yeah. Brahmacharis from RVC? Too many haters in the world? Too many haters. People need a little bit of, need to relax a little bit. We'll do the chanting. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare 
हरे राम हरे राम 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 हरे हरे Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Ram 
now we're going to have a Hare Krishna dance party. So we're going to we're going to clear the floor, move all the asans to the back, and we'll have wild dancing with abandon. Thank you. Haribo. Thank you.